0: I'm Doug Storm. Welcome to Interchange. Today's show is Farewell Transmission, the life and music of Jason Molina. We're opening with Not Just a Ghost's Heart from Songs Ohio's album Ghost Tropic. It will also serve as our break music throughout. Jason Molina was a prolific songwriter and band leader who released music under the names Songs Ohio and Magnolia Electric Company from 1997 through 2009. A secretly Canadian recording artist, Molina periodically lived in Bloomington, Indiana and toured with a Bloomington-based band throughout the United States as well as England, Ireland, Europe, and Australia. After a long struggle with alcoholism, Molina died in 2013 leaving behind a large body of work and a complicated legacy to sort out. Author Aaron Osman does just that in her new Jason Molina biography, Riding with the Ghost. On this edition of Interchange, WFHB music director Jim Mannion talks with Aaron Osman and presents some rare WFHB archival interviews and live performances. And now, Farewell Transmission, the life and music of Jason Molina on Interchange on WFHB.
1: WFHB music director Jim Mannion and I'm on the phone with Aaron Osman, the author of the new biography of Jason Molina called Writing with the Ghost. Aaron will be in Bloomington this coming Friday, August fourth, at the Monroe County Public Library at three thirty PM for a reading and a Q&A session concerning the new book. Welcome to WFHB, Aaron.
2: Thank you for having me, Jim.
1: We're going to go all the way back in the beginning of your book. You mentioned growing up in Evansville, Indiana, and picking up on Jason's music when you were in high school through a mixtape. How did his music originally strike you as a high school student?
2: In high school, I was very involved with both local and sort of regional punk movements, so I was listening to a lot of loud rock and alternative music, and punk music, um, and I was, you know, really drawn to that as a teen interested in counterculture. Um, but growing up, I had grown up around a lot of um, players and appreciators of folk and gospel music. Um, my father was a great appreciator of kind of folk and roots rock, and, um, you know, I grew up with those sounds, but by the time I was a teenager, I had sort of written them off as kind of the things of my parents and grandparents, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so the first time that I heard Jason's music, um, it was really the first time that I heard a synthesis of this kind of punk and underground world that I loved so much, but also, you know, the sounds that I sort of associated with my parents, folk music, um, Neil Young, that kind of thing. And I, I hadn't heard anything like that before because I, you know, sort of naively assumed that the two were mu- mutually exclusive. Um, I hadn't heard, you know, Will Oldham or Mark Koslick um, or Jeff Mangum or anyone like that yet. Um, And so when I heard Jason, it it really struck me as something really original. He sounded kind of like a mythical poet. It sounded timeless, but it also, you know, the production quality was lo-fi and it sounded indie and current. I was really struck by um, the synthesis of
1: all of these things. I had somewhat the same experience getting into Jason's music here in Bloomington. Uh, Probably saw him first live And, you know, being um, a person who was signed to the secretly Canadian label, you know, I kind of expected some jaggedy, experimental kind of indie rock stuff. But Jason's music, I remember seeing him at the Rose Fire Bay here at the Art Center in uh, downtown Bloomington. It really struck me that it was what you just described, that combination of uh, a new approach to music yet there were these old roots in there it took me a kind of a while to get a handle on what he was doing because his song structures were so different that part of his writing wasn't traditional but you know the emotional core of the music was was undeniable besides the musical elements did the message of uh, his lyrics really strike you as a teenager
2: oh absolutely i mean they Um, It was interesting, because at first I really tapped into the earnestness of his singing and and the way that he emoted, and that was sort of a visceral connection for me. So I I, I really connected with the emotional side of the lyrics, but then when I started started diving into them a bit more, I realized that they were rooted in a lot of historical imagery. I've obviously dug into that more for the book as well, but um, Jason was very studious, he was a great um, enthusiast and appreciator of history, particularly the Civil War. And so, the first album that I heard, the Black album, is steeped in a lot of that um, knowledge and enthusiasm. Of course, I didn't realize that until a bit, a bit later. So it was kind of an interesting, you know, journey to travel with um, the scholarly side of Jason Molina.
1: That's one part of his background that. I really wasn't aware of, and uh, really thank you for digging into so deeply in the book. You know, I knew Jason uh, as an acquaintance who I got more familiar with over the years as uh, he was engaged with the Bloomington music scene and being interviewed and performing on WFHB. (laughs)
3: You want us to just keep going, or you want to talk and go? Uh, this is your you, show. You feel like talking? I don't know. Um, we'll just play some more music, that, and then you can ask, ask questions. If you okay, yeah, later. play a couple more songs. We'll
1: talk about the show and any, anything else when we're in the studio. Again, if you just tuned in, this is Jason Molina and Magnolia Electric Company on WFHB.
3: Which one? Um, let's do Shiloh. <clears throat>
4: Two
5: hundred
1: I feel like clapping, but there'd only be one person <laughs> clapping. There's awesome. nothing wrong
3: with that. There's probably a clapping tax these days <laughs> in Bloomington. I don't know.
1: Could be. Jason Molina, along with Jason Growth and Mike Kepnis, here in the studio today, Magnolia Electric Company, in town tonight at the Bluebird, kicking off your North American tour.
3: That's right. No better place to start it than right here in uh, Bloomington. Right
1: here. Looking forward to that. Well, you guys... Just don't rest too much. Uh, You've been uh, many thousands of miles since I've seen you last. You just were just down in what Australia, New Zealand.
3: Yeah, Magnolia just finished a tour, and uh, that was great. Finally, getting the whole band down there. What Uh,
1: kind of reception did you get down there?
3: uh, It was a lot of I don't know. There was lots of Tasmanian devils and kangaroos at the shows, (laughs) like you would expect. Bouncing (laughs) crocodiles. Yeah. Um, they don't have that hunting guy, that crocodile um, hunting guy anywhere. Um, I didn't see any any big knives. Actually, it's um it's hard to say because doing shows down there, I've only um, been able to tour um, in this sort of in, in solo capacity. Or I've actually played with uh, some you know regional musicians. I would get like a another guitar player or a drummer mm-hmm. some nights, or a guy play harmonica or whatever musicians I could sort of. You know, wrangle up in an hour or two before the show um, But taking the whole band there um, it, it was great We got to play a few festivals And um, I think we're going to be able to get back down there Cool. I think that we overall we, we also got put on really nice bills We got to play with the Dirty Three and, in oh, their, awesome. in their, On their home turf and That's um, great So that sort of means a lot to us Jason
1: Molina, live on WFHB In August of 2007 you're listening to Farewell Transmission, the life and music of Jason Molina on WFHB's Interchange. We'll get back to our interview with Aaron Osman after this break. ¶¶ This is Interchange on WFHB. You're listening to Farewell Transmission, the life and music of Jason Molina. In our next segment, author Aaron Osmond talks about Jason's creative process, and we'll also hear another WFHB interview excerpt from Jason Molina. It was very enlightening for me to read about his college years and even before that, his upbringing. I had a difficult time kind of understanding where Jason was coming from, uh, even knowing him fairly well. And your book really filled in open space uh, that I wasn't really aware of. And I think part of that is his multidisciplinary approach to arts, like a multimedia kind of approach in terms of conceptualizing his records and the cover art and uh, the little figures that he would draw, his little personal logos and things like that. Until I read the book, I really didn't perceive Jason as a, a fully-blown conceptual artist.
2: Yeah, that was actually his major at Oberlin. Um, he, he went to Oberlin on a scholarship to study art, and so he really dug into not only art history, but also he, he created art, particularly as you know a part of his senior thesis at Oberlin. So I think um, in many ways he considered himself an artist first. Music was certainly important to him, but I, I think he oftentimes considered that an extension of his, his study and interest in art.
1: He was so dedicated to his songwriting. Another thing that I gleaned from the book that kind of filled in the gaps for me is um, his His routine of getting up very early in the morning and writing pretty much every day, doing that while everyone else was sleeping. For me, it fills in the gaps because I remember just running into Jason, oh, you know, noon, one o'clock in the afternoon at, at Soma Coffee Shop or something like that, and he was already, he was kind of bouncing off the walls and, and just kind of couldn't sit still in any one place. And I would talk to him for a while and, you know, he'd say something cryptic and take off. And, and now I realize that, oh, he'd already put in a full shift by the time I saw him at lunchtime.
2: Certainly. Yes. And, and what's amazing to me is he did that as a teenager, you know, like what kind of teenager gets up at five in the morning to start working. And that's, you know, really speaks to Jason's work ethic throughout his entire life, really. Um, But yeah, it was certainly his practice to get up before anyone else did, um, right after Sunrise, to to write lyrics that are really spontaneous and open clip. You know, he didn't do a lot of editing, a lot of self-editing along the way. Maybe he did some of that later, but certainly as the stuff was pouring out of him, he wasn't concerned with it being, you know, perfect. He was really interested in the act of this spontaneous creation. And, and that's when he worked a lot and worked best and it, he really treated it like a job.
1: Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about your new box set out there, Sojourner, uh, four CDs and a DVD. What's the story behind that?
3: Um well it, it's i I had always wanted I've always uh wanted to do some sort of non-traditional release um I've tried you know I I for a long time I really thought I was going to be able to do a record where it was three different records in the exact same packaging um with no song titles and then just released in different regions so like the west coast gets one version the midwest gets one the east coast gets one mm-hmm. all different records um and that's without really. I hadn't really taken into consideration that like fans will do anything to try to get all three, and a lot of people will think that I was somehow trying to screw with them. And I thought I was screwing with the traditional release. I thought I was doing more like something more artistic to screw with the form than uh, to really, you know, screw with fans. And um, the opportunity uh, arose that with Secretly Canadian, um, they were willing to take this massive amount of uh material that i had all around at the same time sort of all finished at the same time um mm-hmm. and put it together in a package that sort of to me it, it's, it had to it had to be something that you know celebrated uh working for 10 years with secretly canadian um right here in bloomington mm-hmm. um working with all the great musicians that i i've been playing with over the years and something that was uh, you know something really special to the fans because um, I mean, you talk about us playing in New Zealand and Australia you can't you couldn't get really further away and um I, I had several people come up to me and they have literally everything that I've ever released wow. every single you know two hundred dollars seven inch that they've gotten off of eBay and I mean I'm telling you everything Hardcore. and um so I wanted to sort of make something that from the musician standpoint a kind of appreciation for the people who really dive into music still and they really the records are still sort of an, an object, and it's sort of like the first time that you you got into, about, into The Hobbit and you realized you were about halfway through already, and you were like, damn, I got sucked in so fast. And um, so that's really what the, the box is.
1: The box itself is really cool. It's a box. It's a wooden box. I was also really struck by the, the DVD, uh, the documentary film. Uh, I, I really like that in terms of it being sort of a, a not your traditional tour film like there's not a full song on there uh it just kept ca- sort of captures the tone of what it's like to be on the road uh, it's just kind of a lot of time passes uh, yeah so it's a sort of a, a fl- lot of
3: road f- flow chart of of a uh, of part of a tour <laughs>
1: Let me go back and get a, a time mark from you in terms of when his music came into your life. What year was that?
2: I believe it was 1998. I think I was around 18 years old. Um, and so that would have been you know, a long time ago. <laughs>
1: uh, now, did you go to school in Bloomington?
2: Um, I did. I did one year of college at the University of Evansville, and then I transferred to Bloomington. Um, and... You know, I was really excited about the music scene in Bloomington at the time. So I was there um, until 2002.
1: Did you see Jason perform? Did you know him personally? Did you ever meet him?
2: I saw Jason perform a lot, um, and I was really, you know, captivated by both his solo performances at houses and, and smaller venues, but also when he transitioned into the life band format, um, I moved to Chicago and I saw, you know, Magnolia Electric Company. A number of times. I didn't know Jason. We certainly had um, some acquaintances in common. I interacted with him maybe a couple of times, but at the time I, I was surely like a fan.
1: Let's jump forward here a little bit and, and really concentrate on your book a little bit before getting into some other things here. How did the book come about for you? What was its genesis? How did you pitch it? How did you get a book deal?
2: The idea for the book um came shortly after I had been working on a long form article about Jason. So shortly after he died, there was a lot of coverage about his death and I noticed that a lot of the coverage didn't include any sourcing. People weren't really talking to his bandmate um or the label. There wasn't a lot of you know, it was a lot of hot takes but not a lot of direct reporting and so you know, I'd had a couple acquaintances from Bloomington, and I reached out to Jason Growth from Magnolia Electric Company and just said, Hey, you know, I'm reading a lot about this. I'm as devastated as anyone else is. But, you know, I'd like to talk to you guys about it to kind of get your perspective since you basically lived in a van with Jason for years. And so we started talking. I wrote a long form piece for the Pitchfork Review, which um, is Pitchfork's quarterly um, journal. And just in the process of talking to a number of, of key figures for that, I just thought, like, wow, there's so much great material that really sheds a lot of light on independent music, independent music in the Midwest. Jason as a person was totally fascinating to me. He was, had so many sides, and he revealed those sides to different people. Um, he was really keen on reading, like, what people needed for him from him and so he re- revealed different sides of himself to various people in his life and so i really thought it would be you know compelling to tell a holistic story of jason in a much longer form that's where the idea for the book kind of you know sprung from i queried a couple of independent agents because i'd never written a book before a couple were interested i went with a woman who i I trusted and she was younger and kind of got it and so she and I worked together to write a pitch packet which is something that all authors have to do unless you're, you know, really famous <laughs> and querying publishers and that's sort of how the book came to life.
1: Aaron Osman, author of the Jason Molina biography Writing with the Ghost. You're listening to WFHB's Interchange. We'll get back to our interview with Aaron Osman in the next segment discussing Jason's struggles with alcoholism while his music became increasingly popular. This is Interchange on WFHB. You're listening to Farewell Transmission, the life and music of Jason Molina. In our next segment, more from author Eric Osman discussing Jason's struggles with alcoholism while his music became increasingly popular. In preparing for this interview, I've kind of naturally been binge-listening to a lot of Jason's material. Such a huge catalog just kind of filled with with sadness at the loss of just this incredible artist that was hugely prolific when he was really in his zone. But for me, the experience of of going back and re-listening to a lot of his material also involved listening to some archival material we have here at WFHB. But particularly in 2009... In July of that year, we did a live broadcast from Russian recording of the Magnolia Electric Company, Bloomington-based band. And so this was 2009, and that band was just a well-oiled rock machine and just a a really incredible concert there in 2009. Um, I listened to the whole thing a couple times last night, and I also found the interview that um, I did prior to the show with Jason, and it, we included it as like a sort of halftime break. Between the sound of that band and Jason's energy in that 2009 interview, the band had was so together. The songs were so strong. They had already made quite a big splash in the music world, but there was this sense that even greater things were about to happen. And, and Jason acknowledged that in, in, in the interview that I did with him, the one-on-one interview. He was really, really excited about where things were going. He was completely lucid and sober that day. That was 2009. And to think that over the next, what, four years, everything just went, went totally downhill in his life in terms of his alcoholism and his whole world trying to deal with that situation. Your book gives a lot of insight about his struggles and rehab and his friends and family, you know, gathering around to try to help him, but nothing worked. And that must have been really difficult for you to address with his circle of friends and his family and also to be, I mean, I really congratulate you on being so upfront and honest about it and celebrating this awesome guy for all of his awesomeness, but then say, but look, look at this other part here. This is really sad and tragic. That must have been not the easiest thing in the world to write about.
2: No, it certainly wasn't. It, it's very sad. It's very tragic. I, I really applaud all of these sources that I worked with, um, I applaud their openness and their honesty. And I think, you know, a lot of them had different reactions to this. Um, For some, it was really hard for them to speak about. For some, it was the first time they were speaking about it. For some, you know, they were able, finally able to air some frustrations that they had been sort of bottling since they had these experiences with Jason. And so I think for many people, it was cathartic, and at that point, they trusted me to kind of do the right thing with this information, I felt the best way to present it was, you know, from their voices, right? Because they, they lived through it with Jason, and, and I certainly didn't, and so I took a very neutral approach there, and it was really important to the sources, but also to me as the biographer, to present a holistic picture of Jason, right? Like something that wasn't fawning, but something that wasn't overly critical, either, um, you know, and and just to present what happened, but no, it certainly wasn't easy, and I lived with these tragic details for, you know, almost four years, revisiting them, making sure they were right, cross-referencing information, that kind of thing, coming back to details to corroborate things. It was certainly an exercise in reporting, but also an exercise in emotional strength. It was was certainly hard to live with, but I can only imagine how hard it was for the people who actually went through it. that said, despite the difficulty, I found a lot of hope and a lot of beauty in the dedication that Jason's friends in particular had to him. You know, he, he went through attempts at rehab in London, Chicago, West Virginia, um, and actually two in Indianapolis, two rounds in Indianapolis. And that was all, you know, for the most part, facilitated by his friends. Um, you know, an effort in Chicago from some of the former Songs of Ohio members was really valiant. You know, they figured out, you know, a living situation for him. They, they, you know, drove him back and forth from rehab, um, in and out of hospitalizations. It was just, I, I just kept thinking like, wow, you know, we should all hope to have friends like this in our lives.
1: I remember, I think it was their last show in Bloomington, uh, and it was at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. Um, so it must've been, I'll look up the date, but it must've been maybe 2010, 2011. It was, it was, he was already in London and I didn't interview Jason that time. Uh, but I did talk to him in the lobby of the theater and, um, I felt like I was interacting with somebody that was half gone already. There was, there was just sort of this ghostly energy about him. And again, I didn't completely understand what he was going through. I thought maybe it was just not alcoholism, but you know, he's been sick. Uh, he had lost weight. You know, that was that was the last last time I saw him. A very complicated human being, wasn't he?
2: Certainly, yes. He he had a very active mind. I think. One of the sources in, in the book mentioned that Jason slept as little as any person <laughs> as, as he'd ever known. He had a voracious appetite both for food and for information, um, particularly about art and history and, and music. He was incredibly prolific. He you know, could be very moody. <laughs> he could be difficult to work with. You know, He was also very silly. He was really silly and he was hilarious. So yeah, I mean, certainly multifaceted
1: human being well we Aaron we started off the interview just talking about his musical structure and how yes he was very much in the world of do-it-yourself indie rock that kind of came out of the whole punk movement even though Jason had his metal period too I love that picture of him with the feathered mullet (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of uh, anticipating this interview with you, as I mentioned, I revisited a lot of his music. It was just part of the years uh, in Bloomington where his albums were coming through and getting on the radio here at WFHB. But also in terms of being a DJ and Processing and and dealing with a whole lot of music. I got more attached to individual songs that that I especially like like farewell transmission or you know, whatever would jump out at me from a particular album in the last month triggered by reading your book and anticipating this interview. I've listened to a lot of things more full length. And have really come to appreciate his strong foundation in all those real American roots musics. I gotta say, I was a little confused when Magnolia started out, and he was, you know, I thought, well, Jason's just this really cutting edge, brand new kind of music songwriter, and he was gaga about. Bob Seeger and Leonard Skinner and 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 for for a minute there I was a little confused I'm like what's this what's he talking about I mean I mean that's not new stuff but I got to say I was wrong <laughs> in in perceiving this sort of mainstream direction that for a second I thought what's this guy doing in hindsight it is really, really strong music uh, and music for the ages.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, certainly. I, I feel like there's a, a timeless quality um, to, you know, especially the Magnolia Electric Company period um, recordings. And, and that's, as you said, largely a, a byproduct of Jason's interests. And, and not only his musical interests, but also, like, he became, you know, really interested in reading things like Studs Turkle, who's like a voice you know, for the everyman out of Chicago and um, sort of like these universal themes of, of, of hard work and, and dedication and his, his factory background from Lorraine really informed a lot of his work. He resented it when he lived in Lorraine, but later sort of wore it like a badge of honor. So those sort of things certainly played into uh, the timeless quality um, and sort of like the Amer- great American songbook quality.
1: Aaron Osman, author of the Jason Molina biography Writing with the Ghost. You're listening to WFHB's Interchange. In our next segment, we'll hear a 2009 interview and live performance with Jason Molina and Magnolia Electric Company. This is Interchange on WFHB. You're listening to Farewell Transmission, the life and music of Jason Molina. Our next segment opens with WFHB archival material with Jason Molina and Magnolia Electric Company from July of 2009. Also more from Aaron Osman, and we'll close with a live radio performance of a Jason Molina song by Glenn Hansard. This is WFHB Music Director Jim Mannion talking to Jason Molina between sets here at Russian Recording. Jason, thanks so much for joining us tonight for this live broadcast from Russian Recording. A bit of a tour kickoff for you as well.
3: It's an absolute pleasure, not only to be back in Bloomington, but um, to be here and uh, speaking to all you folks. Uh, Well, let's... Talk about the new album. I, the recording of it, you went back
1: to Chicago and recorded with Steve Albini again. And that's still basically a, a, a live-to-two-track to kind of experience. You, you, Absolutely. You, you still do not do overdubs? It,
3: well, we, we it, use them sparingly. Sparingly. And, and vocals. Uh, uh, yeah, and in, a, in, a, in a great um, documentary of the recording process for this record is actually going to come out. Oh great. So you'll see that, like for instance, Jason, he doesn't have enough hands to play saxophone and (laughs) guitar at the same time. (laughs) You know, hell if he doesn't do a great job. Kapanis, you know, he can play everything. Pretty much everybody in the band can play everything, but yeah, there's times when Mark can't play the vibes and the drums at the same time, so that's the way that we approach orchestrating um, a song. Overdubs are not to correct mistakes
1: you have such a a powerful conglomeration of musicians that you've been working with here the core group for quite a long time it's it's rock music but it's very personal uh, from a songwriting standpoint and it's also very american in terms of just this this fusion of of roots that i'm just fresh from seeing john mellencamp and bob dylan and willie nelson in louisville and all those bands are, you know, it's western swing and gospel and blues and jazz, and country and western and bluegrass all at the same time. Even if there's not a banjo in it.
3: Yeah, I think. Um, well, uh, give me 15 years, and I would have been probably um, the, the the first on that on that bill. I don't I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I really um, I see your band
1: as one of these uh, great American bands right now, and and honestly representing. Uh, Bloomington, the way I can look up and see Mellencamp's band and going, that's 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 the hometown up there. That's uh, the
3: hometown team. I do I, I do I do appreciate that, and, and the observation um, is is it definitely is not um, a flat tire in in my book. I don't think of it when I'm going out there and playing music, and mm-hmm. and also all of these guys. Um, all the Indiana guys that play with me, and all of the Chicago guys that have played with me, all the Ohio guys that played with me, and all the West Virginia guys that played with me. I'm almost like a, l- a lightning rod. You know, I want to be the lightning, but I'm the one who sees somehow this, this magic, and it comes to me, I, as far as players go. This is, just, this is not a, a, about songwriting or creativity, mm-hmm. but um, I, I think that uh, you're, you're damn right. You know, there's been times when I've actually, you know, I cut a song and it's, it's very different than the, the way that I envisioned it and the way that I wrote it, but somehow the, the way that the players did it live just made it magic. And I've, I've actually cried during making a song, but there was one moment that I'll never forget when one of the players comes up to me and says, I really feel patriotic about this record. And it was so strange, but it was just such a beautiful Mm -hmm. comment. I had never thought of it that way. Generically, you can say, well, I'm singing about cities that you probably have heard about, you know. You get lots of city references, but sometimes a city is much more than just a name. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a lot behind that.
1: It also seems like there's just a number of things... um coming together here on this release. Uh, obviously some some really deep-seated emotional material in the songwriting, and the band just keeps getting better and better. Uh, I also sense um, uh, even a further minimizing approach to the, the songwriting. There's lots of three-minute songs on here. Things are kind of stripped down. Uh, it seems like this record is going to go a few steps further than the others in the past, in terms of uh, you know, AAA radio play and all that kind of stuff that that helps an artist get out here in the United States.
3: These days, I don't sit on this side of the microphone. Mostly, I, I like to file records if I'm in a, right. you know working in, in a radio station. But I, I listen I listen to this station religiously, so I get a, I get a I get a sense of the way that this will be handled. And as as people get to listen to the record, sure. I think, it's, I think it, it knocks it out of the park. But I'm one of those guys who wants to build the wall a little further and make the bat a little bit more old-timey. So you've got to be that much better each next time.
1: Well, there's a point in that 2009 interview where I was complimenting him on uh, the sound and, oh, this isn't just like someone trying to sound mainstream so they're accessible. This is someone working with the same toolbox that a lot of these other great artists have, you know, great American rock music.
2: Yeah, for sure. He he definitely had those ambitions and they're was a point where he felt like he should be at, at the level of, say, a Nico Case or, or someone like that. He definitely aspired that um, to that level and to sort of, you know, he loved his DIY roots, but he also ha- was aspirational and, and wanted to transcend to playing bigger festivals and, and theaters and having, you know, being a musician who had a tour bus, like, that
1: kind of thing. Well, Aaron, we could talk all day about... Jason Molina and his um, complicated life and um, many facets of of who he was. You're going to open up uh, about that to a Bloomington audience uh, coming up here August 4th at the Monroe County Public Library, reading and a &A. Q&A. You looking forward to getting to sort of home base of of Jason's music.
2: Yes, yes, I always love um visiting Bloomington. Um, you know, of course it's very nostalgic for me because I did my undergraduate studies there and you know, have so many great memories of like not only being in school, but you know, being in the musical community there, you know, seeing shows at Secret Sailor, you know, I worked at the Laughing Planet when I was in college, so I love coming back and um you know, seeing my old friends who still live there um and just revisiting all these great memories that I have.
1: One more question before we wrap up today, Aaron. Uh, what do you hope this book brings to those who read it?
2: I hope, you know, for fans of Jason, that it, that it helps, even though it's really sad and tragic, that it can provide some comfort. In you know, I think in, in the wake of Jason's death, there was this sense that he was alone or something. When he died, I think though, uh, some of the reporting that came out, or lack of reporting that came out, um, made it seem like he died completely alone and that no one was helping him. But he certainly had such a great base of support, so much help along the way. And so I hope that, you know, even though it's sad, that it brings comfort to fans. And then for those who don't know Jason as well, or for those who discovered him after he died, that it can create that it creates sort of a roadmap of. of not only his life, but his art and and how he created it. And, you know, I just hope that it brings his music to a larger audience.
1: I don't think anyone else could have done a better job of this in terms of digging in and really presenting it as a true biographer. Being that you were so impacted by Jason's music and that you did live in Bloomington for a while, I can understand how it would be very easy for you in writing this book to slip into the subjective and uh, to use a lot of personal pronouns to describe your experience with the music. And I think that says, it really says something about you as a writer um, that um, this book is, is really beyond that. And you present such a, a, a complete picture um, of his life.
2: Thank you, Jen. That means a lot.
1: I've been talking to Aaron Osman uh, author of Writing with the Ghost, a uh, recently released biography of the late, great Jason Molina. Aaron will be in Bloomington on Friday, August the 4th, 3.30 p.m. at the Monroe County Public Library Auditorium uh, for a reading and Q&A. Really look forward to your visit, Aaron.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be there. <music>
6: I'll sing you this song. This is a Jason Molina song uh, called Hold On Magnolia.
7: Have to be that strong but if you're stubborn like me then i know what you're trying to be hold on magnolia To the thunder and the rain And to the lightning Let's just sign my name To the bar true friend you've been In my life I have had my doubts But tonight I think I've worked it out with all To that station builds rain You might be holding the last light I see Before the dark finally gets a hold So To that great highway No one should have to be That strong But if you're stubborn like me Then I know what you're trying
2: Hold on, Magnolia. Hold on, Magnolia. Glenn Hansard covering Jason Molina. Um, that got me a little emotional oh, yeah, <laughs> to <me> be honest. <laughs> that's, that's really a really incredible um version of a really incredible song. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, welcome to Bloomington. Uh I don't know how familiar you are with our town. Um but Jason Molina is um very close to the town's heart—that's
6: great—in yeah. a lot of ways. You know, I wrote a letter to Bloomington, Indiana. That's the first fan letter I ever wrote, was to Jason uh, about fifteen years ago. I wrote a letter to a P.O. box here in Bloomington, <laughs> and uh, and it was just to, to tell him how much I loved his record. Um, I got I bought his record in Birmingham, Alabama, while on tour with my band, uh, and I bought it just for the cover. I, I just saw this; it just said "Songs of Hyatt," and it was like a little hare jumping through what looked like some kind of pagan. Um, the Hoop and uh, and I bought the record and listened to it like continuously on tour and it just became this really deep and beautiful record for me and, and something that I really leaned into emotionally and, and got a lot from and, and, I, and, I, and I was never in my life kind of drawn to write a letter to someone I had no idea. I had no idea when this music was made. I had no idea if it was old music, if it was new music. It was on a cassette, I remember. And uh, there was a P.O. box <laughs> in Indiana and I wrote to it and, and asked him, if he ever would consider coming to Ireland that I would be most honoured to host him at my house and and do a tour together maybe with my band if he felt ever like playing Ireland and uh, because I thought Irish people would really dig this as much as I was and he got back to me and uh, he took me up on my offer and he came to Ireland and we spent time together and recorded some songs together and uh, and that was the beginning of a long friendship Um, and and Many tours later uh, and songs later, and he, he was he was usually instrumental in, in some massive changes in my career. Um, and he was a, a and he became a solid friend and uh, not a thing you can say about a lot of people, you know, a solid, you know, people who understand as well, because when you're traveling a lot and you're a musician, you you there's an understanding that needs to happen with all of your friends is that I'm here for you. I'm 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 busy. And I'm traveling, but I'm here. And and Jason was one of those people who very much got that spirit, and uh, we bonded on ACDC and <laughs> uh, Black Sabbath, and there's the stuff that we we know when we met first it was we were talking mostly about rock music. Uh, but n- neither neither music that I made nor he made seemed to reflect that particularly. But uh, there was such a such a wonderful sorrow uh, in his songs that uh, really came through everything he did.
4: Yeah.
5: The desert I'll crow I've really known it all along
0: That's our show. Thanks for listening. Farewell Transmission, the life and music of Jason Molina, was produced and edited by Jim Mannion. Archival material originally recorded at WFHB by Shane Young and at Russian Recording by Mike Brodavsky. The Glenn Hansard segment was originally broadcast on WFHB in February 2012. The interview was hosted by Katie Moulton and engineered by Jim Lang and Dan Withered. The song Farewell Transmission was released on the 2003 album The Magnolia Electric Company. You can find more programs like this one online and available to download at wfhb.org news interchange. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Rob Schoon is assistant producer. Executive producer is Wes Martin. Stay tuned for Counterspin, followed by The Jazz Menagerie, coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB.